Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Mitchin Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Mitchin, our third episode. And would you believe it? We're not actually in the Mitchin. In fact, uh, we're in my my kitchen. Um, this is the Levchin, I guess. It's the Kevins. Uh, it's the Kevins. The Kevins. Kevin, the Kevins. That kind of works. Um, but don't worry. Um, we had someone come in and officiate it. Um, they put up some Supreme posters and some <laughs> UFC fighting DVDs. And they said, this can, this can be a mission now. <laughs> You've got you to speak in your microphone, Mitch. Right? <laughs> um, my name's Andrew Levins. My co-host is Mitchell Orr. Yo. And we are at the Mitchin table. And so are you for the next hour or so. We've got some guests with us. Uh, returning for his third episode in a row, we have Mike Eggett from Pinbone. Yeah, the couch returns. I'm here, people. <laughs> the set. <laughs> uh, we've also got uh, from last week, Rich Hargrave. Uh, what did we say you were last week? Ex-Momofuku, currently Watermans, and uh, soon to be leaving the country. No, you said I was a pest. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. Um, we've also got from the first episode, uh, returning Annalise Gregory. Um, currently working at Acme, has been working at Fun Employment, has an incredibly impressive roster of restaurants that you worked at in the past, and uh, a few people were like, why didn't you tell me what they were? And, uh, and, I, and I thought, well, Annalise gets asked that like, as the first question for every single interview she does. Like, tell us about all the places you've worked at. And I thought, didn't want to annoy you. Would, would it be oh, annoying? But they only care about the ones that are in Australia. They're like, oh, so you worked in some overseas places. That's great. And then you went to Bentley. Right. Okay. Bentley. And then Key. Okay. Good. Tell us about, just quickly before we introduce our last actual first time guest, uh, just give us a quick little run sheet of uh, some of the more exciting places uh, you've worked at. Okay. Um, Michelle Bras, Muguritz, uh, the Capital Hotel, the Ledbury, uh, Le Maurice. Um, yeah, that's about it. And all of those are in Perth, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, where, 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 are, where are those restaurants? <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> um, Could you imagine Bra in Perth? <laughs> they have no idea what to do. People in Perth better be expensive, stupid. which is good. <laughs> Don't you need listeners in Perth? <laughs> I, I hope, hopefully not. Just kidding. <laughs> it's a big marketing segment. Uh, Annalise, please tell us, tell us where those spots are. Impress us with how, how well-travelled you are. Okay, so fuck, I don't even know what to say, Lev. Um, so the Ledbury Perth and it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ledbury and the Capital Hotel in London, both like French places, and then in France in the countryside, Michel Bras, which is like a free star <coughs> on a mountain in the middle of nowhere, um, and Le Maurice, which is another free star in Paris, and yeah, Maurice. and then Muguerite in San Sebastian, where I went mainly just because I really wanted to spend a whole year eating tortilla. Perfect. Success. So that is Annalise Gregory, and our first-time guest for 
this third episode of ours is our good friend Mike Benny, winemaker, wine writer, father, hat wearer, Perth local, <laughs> public figure. <laughs> Welcome thank, to the Mitchin Table, Mike. Thank, thank you very much. Um, the Mitchin is a podcast. Every week we meet at the Mitchin Table, we discuss. Uh, food news But it's a lot less lame than that As we've come to find in the last two episodes Yeah, it's more bitchy apparently <laughs> yeah, That's what everyone's been saying But, uh, you know, we discuss new restaurants And uh, restaurants closing And food news And food things Things we ate in the last week Food we ate in the last hour Because uh, uh, I, everyone's come out to my house I live in North Parramatta And uh, that's about 40 minutes out of the city Mm-hmm. A little less when there's no traffic. Yeah, give or take. Um, and uh, on the way to to my house, you go past a plethora of incredible. I <laughs> definitely said Is that, that how you say that word? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's up there with automata <laughs> <laughs> and podcast. <laughs> um, a plethora of uh, of incredible um, western suburbs eating. Oh, hold on, the, the well-to-do Rich Hargrave. Uh, he definitely knows how to pronounce plethora. 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 <laughs> Right, yeah, I'm sort of on Team Rich there. Yeah, words, yeah. Team Rich. <laughs> team Rich on that one. I'll make a t-shirt. Team I mean, Rich. That's the reason we're here is because of Rich and Annalise. Yeah. yeah. Plethora yeah. sounds like something that would get removed from your leg, yeah. or like <laughs> a, like a Marvel comics book character. <laughs> the great <So>. Plethora. <laughs> I'm so full. I'm still fat breathing. It's difficult. Hey, Levs, did my intros suck last week? Is that why you talked for ten minutes at the start of this podcast? Well, everybody, Annalise talked for about four of those five minutes. <laughs> um, everybody he asked me questions. I had no choice. We ate. Uh, so we took um, Annalise and Rich via El Jana in Granville, which is a uh, incredible Lebanese charcoal chicken place, and just one of the many great places to eat in Granville. Rich. Um, Rich was about two minutes into being in Granville and couldn't take it anymore. He's like, get me out of here. What happened? This is the furthest west I've been in nine years, apart from a trip to the Blue Mountains. That's not west, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just started sweating a little bit and feeling uneasy. Need to hold Mitch's hand. Well, did the garlic sauce help your, uh, help your sickness? That, that was my self-defense strategy. <sighs> <laughs> Uh, so you're a classist asshole, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm just lazy. Yeah, I know. Well, that, that, that's that's the common case where why a lot of people don't explore the suburbs, um, and, and it definitely used to be my. I mean, I, I I didn't really come out to the west very often when I lived in Paddington, and then as soon as I got out, I was like, wow, this is so much better than Paddington. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I guess um, you know you're originally not from Australia. What, what, what are the? Did you go travelling out, outside of your immediate? Uh, no, well, you were... uh, I'm from the UK and in England, people don't really leave anywhere within like a 20 minute radius of where they live. You know, you have your local pub, your local Indian restaurant, your local Chinese takeout, and that's it. And you just sort of do the, the rotation, basically. Um, yeah, and it was pretty much the same when I moved here. I was lazy and didn't come out west, but it, like, you re- I'm really starting to realise that it's sort of the richest part of sydney like food scene is actually over here this is where it's the most diverse some more cultural yeah and it's like i'm a bit pissed off at myself for being so late to the game you're about to fuck off as well aren't you yeah in about three weeks or so for how long um indefinitely i've got a three-year visa for new york so just see how we go out there yeah don't come back thanks much we'll send you some garlic sauce yeah please um but those of us i mean i know uh, both Mike's and Mitch and myself um, have have spent much time uh, out west. Um, what, what are some of, some hotspots that we can recommend? Mikey B is the he's the go to for ghetto food. He knows it all. Like, well, I, I had a strange childhood in, in 
that I grew up with an Eastern European migrant mother and a 10-pound pom, well, Scotsman father. And their sense of exploration always dragged us all over Sydney. So there was no geographical boundary for where we ate. And because I grew up with the most fucked up looking lunches in the universe. Describe some of those for us, please. Kohlrabi is the kind of snack instead of Uncle Toby's muesli bars. No, no, Just that's a raw kohlrabi. Raw kohlrabi in the lunchbox. <laughs> and when everyone else was having <laughs> yope petty miams, I was having the Greek yogurt with my mum stirring you know, pickled cherry through the, through the yogurt and sending it to me in a little pack. At lunch, there was always brown bread. Like, I mean, you know, pumpernickel dark and spread with Eastern European spreads like kurazert, which is a Hungarian um, paprika-based paste kind of thing that you make with cream cheese, um, the equivalent of quark, but Hungarian, and um, <laughs> cu- caraway seeds and, and paprika. And that was on toast instead of Vegemite. It was in our lunches with Hungarian salami and green capsicum. And so I went to school, people were like, fuck with your lunchbox, mate. That's, that sounds amazing now. Good, but yeah. When you were a kid, did you have massive envy of the kids with all this? No, no, but I, I had hustle for people's pies. So if they were going the brown paper, buy, paper bag, four and 20, I could shave off half a sandwich and give it to people kind of for thrill value. And I'd come what out. does a kohlrabi get you on the, t- <laughs> on the, on the, on the like school market. trade system? Yeah. <laughs> what does that get you? Just a punch, yeah. You, 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 you wave that at somebody and they take 10 steps back and go, fucking madman here. <laughs> you get beaten yeah. up and you're a virgin to yeah. be 19. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It went well in my Dungeons and Dragons group. <laughs> it was popular. What are, what are the stats for a kohlrabi in a D&D game? <laughs> you get 20, 20 points for charisma. Full, full, about three for strength. And about nine in whatever the wizard thing is. <laughs> Spells. Anyway, so it was, it was really interesting with geography in that, that we had grandparents who were in, um, in Eastwood and Pennant Hills. So came out and ate a lot of uh, Asian food in the suburbs around. And, and um, my parents were really early enthusiasts for coming to Lakemba for, for food products from um, Middle Eastern sources. In Artaman, there was a great Middle Eastern warehouse, which still exists, but probably isn't quite as... Um, exciting as when it first opened, it was really hardcore, legit split between the Lebanese community of, of kind of Willoughby, Chatswood, and the Armenian community. And I worked with a couple of Armenian guys when I was quite young, sort of just out of high school. And, and the food that I was getting exposed to then through these guys was plus the swear words and plus the the Armenian war cries and all that other stuff was quite incredible. Um, so that all sort of trickled through our household. It was it was really interesting that yeah a lot of when people started, I guess, discovering leaving their suburb or discovering leaving the Inner East, I was kind of not um, like, well, where the fuck have you been? But more like it's it's a great thing that people are understanding that diversity of food stuff isn't made by white bread uppity chefs in the inner suburbs of Sydney, but actually, you know, has a heartland elsewhere in local communities that establish themselves. And I think it's probably common for all of us around this table. You get in a cab and you kind of start chatting and if you've got a, you know, a subcontinental cab drive you immediately start slipping into you know talking about cricket shout out to the sound of western suburbs out the front yeah. <laughs> there it is somebody somebody did some jaywalking in Parramatta Mall <laughs> so like we were, we were just before the podcast started um, a friend of ours coming over from Paris to sort of sample Australiana and we were we were discussing where you should take people in Sydney to eat to really get a sort of a yeah, um, yeah, a really good idea. It's what, now the the Mitchin with Rich and it's and the Mitchin. It's the Mitchin. No, I'm just like I'm just I'm just because no, I'm, I'm probably the least knowledgeable person on this subject at this table. So I'm like I'm asking you guys because it'll be good for people listening as well. It's like if you had someone from overseas coming to Sydney for two weeks. Yeah, there's all the, the like 
the high-end restaurants but for me where i would want to go would be into the suburbs with like you guys and and sort of see the really authentic like striking flavors that you wouldn't get like somewhere like the uk i know i think i'd rather go to the suburbs with dan hong Okay, yeah. <laughs> I think one of that the best things... That, that wasn't... That, you need to turn that into an insult somehow. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah that was too nice. Ten seconds. Too, I've got nothing, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Dan Hong. <laughs> oh, oh. I, think, I think one of the best things I always tell a tourist to do is grab a long neck of beer, usually VB or, or Resh's if you can find it, and sit on the back of a ferry and head to Manly. Then refuse to eat anything in Manly, get back on the ferry and come back to Sydney. But if you do it at, as the, like at the end of the day and head across to Manly as the sun's going down, then come back across. Mm. When the lights are on, that's pretty much like the best six bucks you can spend in Sydney. That was the best six bucks of our first date, and we made tender love. <laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> the stitches cost Were you up a deck or inside or outside on the main deck? It's too personal. <laughs> where'd, where'd Mikey I get takes you? And was it... Like, There's no was, limits. Was the sea calm or was it rough? It's always a rocky ride with Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, as far as uh, destinations to go, like, I mean, I guess when you think of like Australiana cuisine, you can't get, really get too imaginative with it, but... You can then promote the multiculturalism of, of, of Australia, especially. Sydney. Yeah, I don't yeah, think right. there is an Australiana cuisine. Well, I mean, pies, which you can swap for a yeah, cold. I reckon, and, yeah. and, and, and Hongi always goes on about it, but I reckon it's pretty true. Salt and pepper squid. Yeah, there's it's, no, there's no, like, white bread being white bread from the Western suburbs. Like, mm. I would much rather, now looking back, I would have rather been eating what Mikey was eating or what my Filipino neighbors had mm. for lunch and dinner than the food I was eating when I was young, you mm-hmm. know? So. I don't think that food and that food culture comes from, you know, it's more like the same in London. It's meat and three veg and mm-hmm. and that kind. Of, and that's not interesting, you know. But yeah. what makes Sydney and Melbourne and Australia so great is the multiculturalism mm-hmm. and the influences from all over Asia, all over the Middle East, everywhere, you know. And that's there might not be one singular. This is Australian cuisine, but the fact that we have all of these things, which are all really fucking good. Like nowhere else in the world has that mix that Sydney and you know Australia have. So I, yeah, I think there is a small movement of Australian style food, but it is so heavily influenced by Asia generally. But I think yeah. I think yeah. part I think of Australian cuisine is allowing yourself to be influenced. It has to be. Mm. Yeah. You try not to be. And, fre- and freedom as well. You've got nothing to do. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom too. Just in general. Not freedom. constrained oh, by Australia. Features heavily. Freedom as well. Yeah, I mean, what? I thought he was talking Michi's, about freedom's wear pants. Or what Michi not. does at Acme has got to be considered like modern Australian style food, and the guys mm-hmm. like at Tim William, like Dan Pepperell, mm-hmm. they're really pushing to have their own kind of voice. Mm-hmm. It's heavily influenced, and you know, has takes inspiration from every different sort of area, but it's as close to an Australian style of food as we've ever had. I think if you compare yeah. it to what's going on in the world right now, I think Australia's killing it. Yeah, you definitely. Know? I think Sydney is really fucking good. Definitely. You're right. I really like the influences at the moment, but it's like we need a better word for fusion because fusion became such a dirty word. And I feel like that's how people are cooking now, but like in a positive way. Mm. Like you can take all of those things from your childhood and like, you know, from out west and like from yeah. China, from Japan and, you know, incorporate them into yeah, your food and it makes it more exciting. And it's yeah. what you grew up with and it's the influences that you've been a part of. So you're not really fusing anything together because that's what you've been exposed to naturally through your life and your career, you know what I mean? You're not just going, oh, I'm just going to fucking put soy sauce in something. I'm pretty proud when people say we do fusion food, though, to be honest, because it does show, like, a a grounding and understanding and a training in so many different areas, and it's something that is really Sydney, like, well, Australia-focused, you know? Like, you go to England and and Europe, they're really 
like have an amazing tradition so they focus heavily on that whereas we don't so we you got to study like where we've we've studied japanese cuisine we studied chinese vietnamese and then we do a bit of french and a bit of italian and it's quite a few strings to your bow like fusion's a fucked up word because it got really used badly but to be called that is you stuffed a schnitzel in a hot dog bun fusion (laughs) Mike no I have a really bad mental image of like barramundi with a mango and like some red pepper coolie or something and snow snow peas really bad like really bad I remember like was it Haru who was it yeah um, when he had before he had IQ at Blanc and he used to do like Italian Japanese fusion Mm. Yeah. It's like really weird. Yeah, sometimes the, it goes wrong. Mike, I think the best fusion is the one you don't notice. Like yeah, you know exactly. that 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 mango and red pepper coolie is like mm. you see it and you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. But when it's done really well and it's like Michi stuff where it's just like Italian with like you know Asian seasonings, it's just you don't even call it out. Like when you don't you're like, it. why hasn't kimchi always been in pasta? Yeah, yeah. that's per- a perfect fusion. Like when I go to your minor and go down the main drag and go to the kebab shop that does Indian. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, Mike. But you didn't you write an article? I did. About I did a this? fair whack of research before I actually thought that it was almost a bit too twee to write an article about fusion food. Yeah, right. I so you didn't end up writing. Out of the, yeah, I did the research and ended up and, and talked to you and mm. and a couple of other chefs about what fusion meant to them and and the kind of distillation was. It was kind of an embarrassment. It's kind of the you know the pair of pink panties that you wear on your own. Yeah. And then stuff to the I'm back of your closet night. when your friends come Stop over. Stop talking about your first date with Mikey. Again. <laughs> Jeez, that manly ferry. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel like it's it now. Manly. It's now if you go to a country town, like if you, you know, th- and you go into a fine dining restaurant in a country town, they're doing that kind of food. Yeah, and it's you're like, oh. it's it's the it's the kind of combination of of you know late nineties experimentational yeah. cuisine with haute cuisine or actually progression from haute cuisine into um, you know people experimenting and then you start seeing some some really ugly messy clashing uh, food flavors textures and that sort of um, I guess drags the idea of fusion into the mud it's it's something that I and mean, this is you know as a, a diner's perspective really I mean not coming from inside the lair of the kitchen like you uh, do um, but it, to me it, it's it's an ugly it's an ugly word it, it actually segues quite nicely into the idea of um, the word funk in wine and yeah. and where funk air you know funk air Richard's yeah. Richard's favorite descriptor so uh, it, it, it's the word that I've avoided um, as a DJ for my entire life you just never describe anything as funky and I, I, there was a time where uh, um, you, people used to write like like you know funky on a flyer like you know come yeah. to this funky night oh actually no the, the only thing worse than funky when when describing a, a music is um uh, slinky slinky house. <laughs> Smooth, slinky house. Um, but funk has made, been... I've, I've been hearing it more and more lately because it is one of the few terms that people are comfortable using to describe one of the, you know, components of, of natural wines. And um, I'm sure it's a word that you have to battle every day. Yeah, very much. And, and um, it's something that, I guess, can help people into recognising that there's something different about a wine that's in their glass. But the way I'd contextualise it is that if you see a cloudy apple juice on the table next to a clear apple juice... Do you call the cloudy apple juice funky, or do you say it's a cloudy apple juice? I call it funky. Yeah, funky, funky AJ. Funky AJ. Funky I'll have a glass of your finest funky AJ, please. <laughs> Mark Ronson. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, so uh, we 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 just drank a really lovely orange wine with um, the, that you brought. What did you bring, Rich? 
That was a cider. That was a cider. Right. But it was a funky cider. It was a funky cider. So let's describe. It's a cloudy funky AJ. You know, when when you do buy one of those great, I find it. It's these newer ciders, and then like the 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 you know you can really taste it in a good orange wine. There is that taste that only you only get with natural wines and people describe it as funky what would you describe it as i'd I'd take it to the next level where you've got your 20 seconds with a customer in a restaurant and basically have to get their faith to describe what's in a bottle and if i'm in that position rather than using my wine writer hat um then i would describe that it was farmhouse cider in style slinky house slinky Slinky farmhouse but the idea that it's 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 farmhouse not you know mass-produced cider sort of leads you down the garden path that it might be something different immediately from the get-go then continuing with the cider you'd describe it as you know turbid or cloudy in terms of its its uh appearance uh and then describe to people that there's some you know raw real apple flavors and scents that you'd get only from a cider that's produced with mineral intervention and a very natural feel and that it's a world away from the commercialized industrially farmed industrially produced ciders so that's how i'd contextualize and i think that's really important is giving people who are drinking the idea of where it comes from how it's made and it's kind of where food is as well like we so want to know that chicken's free range sure. corn fed and organic cider and beer have a, the same way. have a bit of a like advantage on wine though don't they because it's been more accepted for a longer time as funky the funky stuff yeah. you can do funkier <laughs> so things with beer as you well can do some funky so mike but, is funky used like as a crutch to deter people from saying it's a faulty wine or it's different or it's not what you expect and like how do we get around that because describing all the the flavors and what you're looking for and the natural aspect is fantastic but i think in terms of like funky is what people use to to disarm people when they drink it and they go that's pretty fucked up yeah. you know and we, we will talk amongst ourselves and say this wine's nice and fucked up you I know, want that. Yeah, yeah we yeah. want that. We like, want that. I, I may have been drunk recently and, and, and told a, uh, uh, someone trying to sell me some wine, the funkier the better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's horrible. And, and, but he knew exactly what I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, and is that's, it? Is, how do we get around that? We we'll get around it in the same way that, I mean, for me as a chef, how do you tell people that uni is good to eat? But when you think about what uni is, the texture of it and that overt flavor of uni, you know, how do you get people to... Try it for well, the first time. What we, say? we can say umami and it tastes like the sea that's, and stuff that now. That cider is full of full umami, umami. But if I said yeah. that to somebody... They don't like, really get it. Like, what the fuck they? are you talking about? Yeah. You know, that cider, why was there umami in it? So yeah. it's, as I said, it, it's much more about, to me, giving people the idea of where it's come from, how it's made, um, to help people understand that it's kind of better. And as I said, the, the juice analogy is pretty simple. It makes me feel not like a wine wank when I say, do you like orange juice with your bits in it or do you like it without it in it? And if you convince Your me, bits in it pers- my specifically? Bits in it, or? My, I put my bits in lots of shit. <laughs> uh, Brian is available. For, <laughs> <laughs> that has definitely had penis immersion. Um, the, nude pige, the, nude, the nude pigeage. Pigeage is a French word for sort of leg, you know, or foot pressing. But we use up to our waists making Brian. So <laughs> Brian is what a, is, is Brian exactly? Mike Mike? There's, there's, there's some pretty wine. horrendous photos out there of actually making Brian. I'd say they're Tasmania. More some really creepy. Men Do you have any to share with us right now, Rich? I like how you tagged uh, it up. Yeah, right? yeah, but before yeah. Mike Benny tells they're, us what Brian on is, can we like describe the worst Mike thing Benny you've seen? Lurking nude in a fermentos. <laughs> I think there was a single like half bottle covering his. Don't don't you all share a blazer? We do oh, share a blazer as well. Yeah. <laughs> Another wine journalist. Is that blazer, blazer funky? That blazer is very funky. I mean, it's got one hell of a twee to it. 
the tweet is just out of control. Um, so tell us about Brian. You just uh, recently launched. Uh, there's a few different varietals, or yeah, yeah. Look, I, I probably a... I'll probably rather than make it a sales pitch for the wine in front of us. I'll say that Brian is a wine that comes from Tasmania. That's kind of trying to shift the needle a bit in terms of what's produced in in Tasmania. In that um, Tasmania has a lot of great wine producers and some extraordinary vineyards, um, and some real potential in terms of what the grape grape mix is planted. But myself and two other winemakers, I'm not really a winemaker whatsoever. I'm somebody who knows how to ferment things. Who a bit. are the Who are the other winemakers? Yeah, I'd rather real winemakers be around me. The other winemakers are Joe Holliman from Stony Rise Vineyard and Peter Dredge, who has just shifted into a new role with Meadowbank Winery, but previously was working with Bay of Fires and a bit with Marilla. Um, and the three of us knock heads over vintage, play a bit of tennis in the lazier hours in the afternoon and came up with the idea that we wanted to make some wines that said something else about Tasmania that wasn't being said, um, using extended skin contact fermentation for white grapes, um, blending some grapes, um, using some oxidation, oxidative handling that's similar to the region of Jura in France and to try and produce some wines that shift <coughs> the needle a bit in terms of what Tasmania's assets in terms of grapes could be. And it's just a lifestyle project. I mean, it's really... We bottle them in half bottles so we want people to smash them. At Mary's, you can get a bucket of five Brian's for 100 bucks now, like a Corona right. bucket, but with Brian. And people are buying it danger. on... Danger. Yeah, danger. Danger zone. Yeah. You know, and they drink really well, and they hold up fucking well in a tasting. Like, they're, they're really fucking good wines, Mike. Well, you know... I mean, they're really funky. Tell you what, the amount of funk we put in them would, like blow your head off like JB's wouldn't even know how to do you know you're talking about George Clinton on his walking stick coming out here and throwing down up for the downstroke and flashlight booty coming in saying yabba dabba booza bubba with every 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 sip yeah these things tear the roof off the sucker tear the roof off the sucker motherfucker <laughs> um, while we're talking about uh, I mean, we continue the wine combo um because I feel like a while ago, like a few years ago, when I was first introduced to natural wines, um, I immediately loved every... every it came a point where I was like, I don't think I could... I've, I'd had a, a bottle of wine in a year that, that was natural that I didn't like. And I became that guy that would always ask, even at like the, the shittiest restaurant, you don't have any natural wines, do you? And everyone would be like, ugh, fuck you. Um, but then I, I met Mike Eggett, who is a, is a, is a natural wine enabler. And he made me feel less weird about being uh, inclined to only enjoy but natural wines. Even Mikey had that point. You know, I think Limbo really introduced Mikey to natural wine at Duke and Jolie. Yeah, Jolie, Limbo Jolie, and Jolie. Jolie. And Jolie. Thomas Lim. Yeah, yeah I think two friends that will hopefully pop up on, on, the, on the at the Mitchin table. At I some think point. I remember one night at Duke, Mikey was working, and Limbo was like, "Do you want a glass of wine?" And Mike was like, "No, I'm fucking drinking wine. Give me a beer." And maybe like a week later, Mike was like. Knew, knew as much if not more than anybody else about the subject because like he, Mike. he'd go and like when he finds something he loves he really immerses himself in it and yeah, he, just, he goes straight to Wikipedia looks up yeah, looks W-I-N-E enter <laughs> <laughs> reads it all the history I'm not sure I actually spelt it right the first time he spelled it W-H-I-N yeah, there was an H in there it definitely wasn't an E at the end um, but I mean, so whereas, like, say, craft beer, I'm, I hear those two words put together, and I immediately run to the next room. I just yeah. run to my mate who's an IT geek wearing an asymmetrical print T-shirt with his scraggly pubic hair beard, <laughs> and give him a slap on the back and ask him like the latest dog bar for three thousand head rock and help dog, and see how he goes with that. That's pretty much what I think about craft beer. But whereas natural wine, like you could compare the two, 
given that, that they are like you know smaller breweries and smaller winemakers um, doing more experimental things but why is there like why, like why am I so okay with natural wine but I, I don't like craft beer it's, it's interesting it's, it's a flavour profile thing and I think with craft beer it's greatest asset is its freedom and its ability to express itself in wild funky ways right through to its funky packaging and funky cartoon aesthetic and all this sort of stuff but one thing about funky craft beers is that they push in many cases hops one of the great ingredients of beer that if done judiciously is delicious but if done overtly becomes such a dominant factor in a beer that it ends up smelling like you know bong water and tasting like bong water bong water (laughs) I find craft beer is like akin to the um, molecular food movement it's where we were taking a product and doing fucking everything we could to make it something else and then at the end of the day it wasn't that great whereas with the natural wine thing they're doing less they're doing less and trying to highlight what's good about something I was going to say though that the craft beer movement does have one asset on its hand and that is it it is unafraid to express beer in a multitude of ways so Things like, when we talked about it briefly before, but the idea that natural wine is often associated with faults, where faults are defined by university learning, by the science of winemaking, and not necessarily by visceral pleasure, and not necessarily about how much a drinker just wants to experience something that might not taste like everything else. Mm-hmm. Craft beer has done a wonderful job of introducing things into beer um, through historical context mostly, but also through modern progression. Things like Britannomyces, which in the wine world is known as heresy in any wine. Things like volatile acidity, which is the main flavouring ingredient slash texture that you find in the extraordinary sour beers of of Belgium. Um, And if you think about the mecca for beer geeks, which is Cantillon Brewery in Brussels, um, those beers are wildly volatile, sometimes have Britannomyces through them. They can taste like vinegars. People throw fruit in the beers there. Um, you know, if you try and do that with wine, you'd have people running for the hills, burning people at stakes. So I think craft beer does have its assets as well. And that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in no way sledging all, all craft beer. I just think uh, like uh, when, oh, it, when it was a movie, yeah. <laughs> you, de- you definitely are. Wine just has this like sacredness about it. It's like untouchable. You can't fuck with it at all. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But also I think that like when you you drink a wine, you're more open to... To having something that isn't something that you want to smash, you know, you want to, you want to, you don't necessarily refresh yourself with a glass of wine. Whereas that's why I would open a beer. Mm. Yeah, look, I, and I, I agree. I think there should be an Australian Australia culturally. If you think about the wine scene in Australia, what have we built up 
reputation on big, full-flavoured reds. How often in a season in Australia, if you're talking about cultural um, cultural touchstones for our food, for our outdoor lifestyle, for the warm summer that lasts for nine months a year, for eating seafood, sitting on the beach, how, how much do you want to smash a big 15.5% alcohol red with that? And that's what we sell ourselves as doing best in wine terms. What we really should be doing is looking at light, fresh white blends, lighter reds that are great for quaffing, sitting outside, drinking parks, chilling. And we, we haven't quite cottoned on that in France, if you're sitting in Loire, in the Loire Valley of France, and you're having a light, fresh, crisp white or red with the seafood that comes from the oceans proximate to the region. That makes sense culturally. In Australia, we haven't made sense culturally of what wine should be doing, and that is being a condiment for food and for our food culture of Australia. And I think natural wine taps much more into that in that it's lighter shades of expression of, of grape varieties, unadorned with oak, unadorned with overt oakiness, ripeness, flabby fruit, higher alcohol. And so it is shifting into this zone where it can be smashable, where it can be a drink that's about refreshment factor. So I think we're going to see a shift. Climate's really interesting, huh? Like, you wouldn't serve a, you know, pork pie and mash and gravy in the middle of summer in Australia, so why would you serve Why did you ask for El Yana then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mushy peas with that chicken? No, go on, sorry. Tabuli's fresh. Um, yeah, but you wouldn't serve that. So why would, why is it, why are we still making wines that are 15.5% alcohol that are like, you know, like just pure glycerol that you can't even <coughs> barely drink a glass, let alone want to drink a glass in, you know, when it's 40 degrees outside. It, it is bullshit. starting to change now that winemakers are getting younger and, you know, they're sort of starting to realize all these things and they're into natural wines and doing less and stuff like that. So you are starting to see a change there. I think as well, when I think about Lev and how his approach to wine has come through learning from chefs and from um, younger generation wine people, um, I think to myself that um, there's an opportunity to move away from the old um, sort of archaic appreciation of wine, which is very structured and formal, which relies very, very heavily on the understanding of faults. I mean, when you first start studying winemaking and or the science of wine, the first thing you learn is the faults. And mm. from then on, you now start breaking down wine in terms of fault first, then pleasure second. And I think that's something that's shifting in terms of how people are exploring wine. If they see something like volatile acidity and it smells some a bit balsamic-y in the glass, people aren't going to run away from that because they've seen it in maybe a cider or they've seen it maybe in a craft beer or they've seen it in something that they can reference and not be terrified about. I think that's a great asset is that youth is on our side. Mm. Mm. I, think, th- I think like and it's been aligned with the... Like the chef generation as well, like, like the guys yeah, sitting at the table here well. are paying more attention to it and also are not afraid to call bullshit on stuff these days, which before mm. they were more yeah, accepting. Yeah, because I don't know, I don't know fuck all about wine. And like if you were to give me some $1,500 bottle of, I wouldn't appreciate it. But if you open a bottle of Brian or a bottle of Normandy Cider or a bottle of Radicon or something, I know I fucking like that. Mm. I was going to say the best chefs to me are the ones who love wine or see wine as that condiment that complements their food but that's the thing it's not it's not it's not just the sommeliers wine writers that are pushing it it's almost like the chef generation's having as much of a like impact on changing that shit because these guys are opening their own restaurants and saying well, we don't want any of that other stuff that we don't want to drink on our lists anymore why, why yeah. we're doing you, it you for want ourselves sympa- you and, want and sympathetic that's connection. what I was going to say yeah. you, you want to be selling yeah. things to the public that you believe in if you're cooking food you believe in you want to be doing the same thing with the alcohol makes no sense for there to be a disconnect between the two yeah all these say, guys like like Esther and Pinbone and Acme and all these guys that have opened in the last couple of years the young chefs that have grown up with this new wave style are building lists around stuff that they want to drink because they're cooking the food they want to eat 
So why were they not like aligning the wine list the same? It's it's amazing thing. I did this job where I had to go into a, a, a restaurant group and, and talk to them about what I thought the changing face of wine in Australia was and real privilege to sit in front of these people but I said to them the first thing I noticed about your restaurant is that you tout your free range your organic your locally sourced and I look at your wine list and it's industrial wines hmm. from big distributors without the face of the winemaker connected to it why is it such a massive diverse sort of yawning chasm between kitchen and your wine list it just shouldn't be like that yeah. you care about your produce it should be universal absolutely and definitely that this generation is changing that yeah I think there's an overall purity and integrity that comes with every produce project like produce that you want to put on your list basically whether it's wine or food you know you want that clarity um, Levs what do you think about that Archie just woke up from his nap so Levs is playing dad yeah. Archie was like my, 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 my one year old son Archie was like you guys are talking about natural wine I better wake up and give my two cents Archie you want to say something? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for the next the, the rest of the show uh, we're going to have a, a, a new guest uh, a teething 20 month year old boy named Archie Levins uh, and he's, he's, he's not he's fucking happy about it <laughs> you're talking about Mitch <laughs> <laughs> I'm not happy That's about it. it either. There's a big similarity. They'd probably both get drunk as quick as each other. <laughs> I definitely need to go for a nap. I know that. So we've touched on wine. And we did skip over uh, helping our rich with his international guests. So maybe we should ask everyone what they would recommend that people go and eat when they come to Sydney. Because we didn't really tell you any places uh, yeah. to yeah, go right. and eat. Yeah, I mean, we just went like, completely yeah. off track. What, what, you, what they should do is not call wine funky. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think that fine dining is what's interesting in any country in any. So where do place. they go? You, you know, got one. You got one day. Where are you going to take them to eat? I'm going to go to Ten Million. Like I'm going to go out to the west. I'm going to go to Cabramatta in the day for lunch. Eat at about seven different places. Then I'm going to go to Ten William Street for a drink. If I wasn't working at Acme, I'd hope that people would bring them to Acme. You know, I'd go to Estar. I'd go to places like that, doing that kind of th- style of thing. That's fun and energetic and different and interesting because that's really the voice of Sydney at the moment like beat LPs or when Automator opens or you know and then if they're here for a couple of days and you want to go to one fine diner and see that then definitely do that and what would that be because we were talking about that earlier as well Uh, for me it would probably still be key yeah personally yeah I think I'd I'd take people to see all our coffee to be honest, in the mornings, because I reckon that Sydney does some of the best coffee. Just, just look at it, though. Yeah, just don't drink it. it. Just don't drink it. Just look at all that coffee. No, I think we. I think the guys are like Edition Roasters, for instance, and you know, Artificer, Artificer, and then Mecca. You know, I think they're doing great things. I think it's better than Europe, it's and, a, and it's, it's along the same kind of thing. People taking responsibility of where the beans are coming from and all that kind of shit, and giving a fuck about it as yeah, well. Yeah, they're really worth promoting. And then I think also too, like you know, you'd want to go check out like. Um, Chatai for sure. Yeah, Chatai. You know what I mean? Chatai is so fucking good. And then you want to go to Golden Century at 4am and stuff like that. Like there's so much... Take them to Ashfield. Yeah, there's Chinese. so much vibrancy and... And... What's the fucking word? Okay, outside Variance. of Key, I have a question. Outside of Key, um, Benelong maybe because they're like same company, same sort of vibe. Is there anywhere good to go and sit on the water? Like beach? Cause Pilu, you man. Yeah, Pilu. Pilu. You do Pillow. Fuck yeah. I would, yeah. I would 100% we go to Pillow. If, if you're going to go catch the ferry across to Manly, Pop skip Manly and go to yeah. Freshwater and yeah. sit at Pillow. It's a better beach too. Yeah. Mm. Freshy. Because people want to see yeah. the beaches when they come to Sydney, so... 
Yeah, the, the yeah, pastas there are really good. Yeah, Pillu's off. Pillu as well Pilu. down in Bondi if you yeah. have to go to Bondi. Everybody, yeah. look, no at my, everybody look at Mike for a quick photo. And one, two, three. <laughs> I think I think Pillu's better than it's ever been, to be yeah, honest. I agree. I think it's like well, really even fucking the, good. Like, well, or Meggio no, 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 as well. Yeah, or Meggio as well. Even the suckling pig is better now. Yeah, like, the thing about Pillu and Giovanni is Giovanni has a young chef, Matteo, in the kitchen who's who worked at Key and worked at... Did he work at Krakow in Italy? And I don't know. But yeah, he's, he was. He yeah, was he, he's worked at crazy-ass places and has a new knowledge of like all the new techniques and stuff like that that Giovanni doesn't know. But the great thing about Giovanni is he's happy to let Matteo bring those influences in and evolve what that restaurant is. That's pretty cool. And that takes be- a chef with like a yeah, and a because because of, because of that, it's it's better than it's ever been. But it's still very true to Giovanni and Sardinia and all those kind of things. But the little touches that they make and the little changes that Matteo's put in place, mm. it just means like not that it was bad when Daniel was head chef or anything like that. Like it's always been great, but it just keeps evolving and it doesn't stay stationary like other places like maybe Bonacordo have. And stuff like yeah. that, where it's still stuck in the same mold it was 20 years ago. There's like a gentle evolution, which yeah. is the way it should be. And what about suburbs, though? So you briefly mentioned Ashfield for Chinese, which I very much agree with. Cabra, uh, 100%. I like, Cabra for I like Cabra. Flemington as well. It's really cool. Yeah, and, and the guys um, at MoMA used to like going out to Beverly Hills for Chinese as I'm well. I'm a big fan of Haberfield for Italian. Yeah, Haberfield. Great. Yeah, yeah. You know, cut mates at... IJ or Zanetti's and then up the road to the cheese joint and I think it depends too where your guests are coming from like you're not going to take people from Italy to Haberfield you know what I mean totally but yeah. they're going to get into all of the, the other cultures because they just don't have it we have a, an incredible Middle Eastern food scene here too mm-hmm. and, and, and I feel like the Holy Trinity Granville Auburn yeah Punch Bowl mm. yeah I'm, I'm actually Punch Bowl I mean what is that <laughs> Punchbowl Punch has, Punch has one of the best restaurants ever. I think they just refurbed it though. So you used to have this fantastic, big, disgusting mural. I was called Jasmine One. Such a great restaurant, and, and the it was it was such a joy to be in. It's incredible, painted, um, like lots of big, uh, you know, Italian big painted mural stuff. But then there was like a, a you know like Sydney panels as well, um, and great food there. The best falafel in Sydney, but they've, they've just closed and about to reopen, so it, could, it might not be as good. It's a good question. What's the best shit fit out in a restaurant in Sydney? But is that, <laughs> I'm going to throw out Ch- the, Chinese the, little the, restaurant does a pretty good. Yeah. Oh, and the, and the neon a, pictures at GCs. Do you mean you know? not like not like Maryvale trying to be shit like an actual <laughs> like just legit? Shit. Yeah, legit, legit shit. shit. They're just like doing. Like, 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 like Golden Senju for me has always been the benchmark because of those terrible, you know, those landscapes. Any of your noodle like houses the, with like the, the hanging grapes? grapes. grapes. Yeah, Chinese restaurant. Yeah. What was? Um, do they still have? It was used to be a big thing in um, suburban Chinese restaurants when I grew up. But the the moving paintings, like the waterfall yeah. paintings, that had the, the that's the, all, the, that's the, like, almost what GCs. Yeah, 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 I love those. I've, I always marvel at Bar Reggio's not to scale completely out of touch with what actually goes on images of Sydney. Is everyone? cottoned on to like you're the only person that goes to buy Reggie there's no <laughs> you're very there's really a sober. of wine people who go there because of the BYO policy ah. you can drag in two dozen wines line them off the table and not ask for any glassware and go hammer and tongs there and they just don't care <laughs> and they'll bring you out your ha- their house made grappy which you're not meant to talk about in 1.25 litre bottles of coke but blind Blind blindness inducing strength, homemade grappa. That's a good tip for visitors, Rich. <laughs> go, go with Mike Benny and get blind on moonshine. Chowbar had a pretty horrible fit out when they put theirs together. That was pretty horrible. 
It's gone now. But that week that it was open, it the was that, fucking the horrible. That, the one that's in there now is a much better. I haven't seen the new one. <laughs> what about uh, the uh, the big uh, Biggie Smalls lyrics mural at Miss oh, G's? Yeah, who? What idiot would do that? <laughs> uh, I guess if it was your favourite song. Is that why? Is, is that what it was for? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I, it wasn't. I love that that it's like you know it, that it's it's very hongy and very biggy, but uh, I, I don't know. I think it was. It reminded me of um, Gourmet Traveler recently had their awards, and I don't know who did the fit out for the actual awards. You, you guys went right? Yeah, that was At, Giovanni, and, and they just someone just spray painted Gourmet Traveler Awards on the wall. <laughs> like, like it was like oh, Banksy came and did this. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just I, I feel like spray paint should never be in a restaurant unless you're like covering paint that's already there as quickly as possible. Don't do graph in your restaurant; it never looks good. Did anyone go to that? There's there was a place in Kensington on the main street. Yeah, the grotto. Like grotto. Oh yeah, yeah. What was that called? I think it's gone now. Oh, it was and called like the grotto. The front yeah. was made to look like a like all rocks and stuff, and inside you felt like you're in a cave. And they no had see-through floorboards with um, like plastic lobsters underneath. Yeah. I, I had mates that used to live across the road when I was like eighteen, and we used to like at like four AM would try and break in and like kind of break Still the shells the on the wall. <laughs> but uh, who are they pitching to? Who goes there? They used to do. I mean, it's closed now, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's closed. I, I, was, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a, it's definitely something of its time. And uh, Archie hates the grotto. Archie hated it. Oh, Archie didn't like it at all. <laughs> he wants his floorboards fucking <laughs> covered, man. No see-through floors for Archie. Yeah. Well then, Mike, you have brought along some treats from a farm that you recently visited. Oh yeah, spin um, some spin some knowledge on that place because it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's good. Look, I mean, I know a lot of us, and you know, it's like to get out of Sydney and go and hang out in places where we can source fruit food from a, you know, a healthy place to bring to restaurants. And, and I know you particularly, Mikey, have a great love of finding things in the wild. And Annalise, you've done your your time with, with foraging well. king forager over here yeah <laughs> queen forager i like to call him um no reby farm beautiful place on the colo river a mate of mine owns it and it's got um heritage orange trees and beautiful big orchards filled with all different types of citrus um tim malfroy's incredible natural honey project finds a home on the property amongst several of his locations and he's going to be at rootstock right he'll be at rootstock as well yeah and reby farms produce featured at rootstock on um, Marty Burtz's stand last year with um, figs from the from the farm. And for those that don't know what Rootstock is? Oh, Rootstock Sydney is a uh, very large artisan, uh, raw, real, natural Funky. food and wine festival. Funky wine festival. Let's, oh, let's talk yeah. about it because we're all involved, so we might as well. I'm yeah, this Mitchell do something. Well, no, there's a lot of not. funk music playing while you really? funky produce. Where is it? When is it? Funky wine. Spin it. Come on, give it. So a it's 28th and 29th of November in Sydney at Carriageworks, and it is presented by Carriageworks this year, which is the first time that we've had any um, assistance at all. So it's a not-for-profit organisation we established between myself, um, Matt Young, and Linda Wiss from Black Market Sake, James Hurd, ex Wine Library, Buzo, and Vincent. And Giorgio Di Maria from X One Two One BC and Vinnie Imports, um, and the five of us in two thousand and thirteen decided to establish Australia's first natural wine festival. And then, of course, we believe very strongly that food is integral to wine, so established a, an artisan slash chef and produce showcase alongside it. And we held it in Leichhardt 
and incredibly, by the skin of our teeth, pulled off an event that um, really drew on so much goodwill from the Australian food and wine community, particularly Sydney's food and wine community, and particularly the chefs being so generous with their time and, and farmers coming up to, to spend time with the chefs that they work with, uh, and then so many volunteers who make that festival um, such an incredible event and let us do a festival that has no money and no sponsorship. And we got 3,500 people to that first event. And so we held it again last year uh, in February on a stinking hot weekend. Mm. Uh, and then every fucking chef bought a pizza oven or coals. <laughs> Not which, me. Yeah, which, which... I made a salad. Yeah, Mitch made a salad. Funky salad, though. Funky salad. Pour that funky grease, oh white boy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing Shut throat. up, Archie. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody throws down a kale baseline like Mitch or... Uh, does his... Um, Daz has put in, put in his patents for kale and As well? Yeah, so we have to stop using it. Yeah, well, that salad was nice. But, yeah, so Rootstock 2014 was 13,500 people, which was mind-bending, considering, again, not-for-profit, and we, we do it because we just want to, uh, you know, celebrate all that's amazing and great about Australian produce and be that wine or be that foodstuffs um, or be that chefs who make those foodstuffs come alive. It was a really, really amazing, emotional, awesome thing to see such big love for this idea and, and it started making waves overseas which was amazing I do a lot of travel for work and end up in a lot of wine regions where there's a, you know a kind of th- thick on the ground are the natural winemakers or producers who have been making wine like they do for generations with mineral intervention and organic farming and people were like we've heard about your festival and I started going wow that's you know that's even more touching that we have this outreach that goes global now so this year if we're not chefs or we're not wine industry why should we come along what's the what's what are we going to get out of it what are we going to learn firstly it's fun you know it's 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 a festival that does have a theme you know it's not just hang on we're in a big hall let's try and get anyone who wants to pay money to be here to serve their food stuffs from their restaurant um or from their winery it it has a, a a theme which is firmly about education and the revelation of what natural wine can be from its most turbid and cloudy and original and raw through to more polished examples. Uh, and wine is only one part of it all. I mean, this year we've really stepped it up. The, the indigenous food produce that we're going to be showcasing aligns with the very amazing um, book, Dark Emu, um, which really rewrites the idea that indigenous farming didn't exist and that Aboriginals of Australia were hunter-gatherers. Uh, and uh, we're really trying to highlight that there were farming communities in New South Wales and we're bringing along an Indigenous um, food farming group who'll be showing their produce, having the food cooked, um, and we're going to be bringing in some government ministers and all their uh, associates to, to have a discussion about changing the curriculum in New South Wales schools, first of all. That's so amazing, because I feel like, and, and it's fitting that that comes after we're all talking about what Australian food is and none yeah, of right. us brought up... You know, indigenous yeah. food at all. Bruce Pascoe, the author and the essayist, uh, and obviously uh, uh, indigenous spokesperson, is is a remarkable human being. And his his research says really simple things. I mean, the evidence that says that we read Burke and Wills in primary school about the great explorers of Australia, but we don't read the bit where it says they had to circumnavigate gigantic yam fields to get on their course as they were charting unseen parts of Australia. We don't read about Blackson, Wentworth and Lawson coming across grain stores which were harvested from Aboriginal farming fields. We don't read about the eel traps in Western Victoria that can be seen from space effectively. 
um, which still exist. We don't read about aquaculture, which still exists in rivers in New South Wales, where there were traps used to harvest fish and regenerate fish programs within rivers. And we, we don't talk about, um, you know, what sustained Indigenous lives before settlers arrived in Australia. We ignore all of that in our curriculum. So Rootstock Sydney is really trying to, to bring that to the fore by, by having a pavilion and having this dialogue over a lunch with Indigenous farmers and a, and a community that's very important to that's this. so unreal. What, can you tell, talk us through some of the dishes that, that, that will be cooked that day? Do you know? um, it's, it's still under wraps because we're kind of working with a couple of chefs on that program, but they're going to be bringing along some of the yams and root vegetables that they have been trying to regenerate as a farming stock. Um, Bruce Pascoe's um, real charm extends beyond just his writing to really working very closely with this community and trying to regenerate opportunities to farm the original grains and the original uh, tubers that the Aboriginal people... Will he be there talking? Uh, absolutely, yeah. He'll be He's pretty of, amazing. I, I was yeah. lucky enough to meet him when he did the, he did the champagne thing with Bibendum. Yeah. Remember? And the big international champagne tasting and like the, he's a really inspiring guy to listen to. Yeah, massively. And I'm, we're really grateful that's that's part of the program. But then again, you know, the Chef Showcase again really is the bee's knees, the who's who of people who really get that whole nexus between food and wine and, and between also food and farmer. You know, it's not just about having a wholesaler who can find you the best of the best. It's about connection to earth in your kitchen. And uh, the chefs coming along to Rootstock Sydney again the likes of people who are around this table, um, really, you know, sets it alight and, and keeps that fire burning for people who are there to not really worry too much about wine. They can drink that from the bars, the sake bar, the orange wine bar, sour beer bar, um, funky beats, and then will funky you, eats. Will you be wearing pants? Uh, perhaps tracksuit pants. I mean, what what time do they come off? Pour us some funk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be your jingle at the end yeah. Mike, why did it move to November this year? Uh, because we're not for profit We just didn't have time right. I mean, we need an 18 month gap To get it off the ground again Because we are a bunch of Busy minded rapscallions Who can't focus on any one thing For a long period of time and I just felt it was best to give ourselves 18 months to get some breathing space between the last event and this event. But I think everyone that was there in February last year would agree this is going to be a lot more wine-friendly and easier to enjoy Tem- yourself. Temperature-wise? Yeah, we were just cooking. Cooking in there, yeah. It was good, though, when all the, the brewery guys made every man take his shirt off who wanted a beer. Yeah, right. <laughs> and girls as well. And girls as well. But, yeah, I mean, the idea is, is to, to make it a much... You know, even more friendly than it was before. People can talk to a farmer while talking to the chef standing next to them. It's food focused to the nth degree, and and wine is a is almost it's not a sideshow, but it's it's sort of a, it's almost a lesser part this year in terms of its its um, scope. Even though the size will be seventy odd producers, and we insist as well that the, the actual farmer grower of the wine stands in front of their bottles. It's not just a sales rep or or somebody you can't have a conversation with. Can you give us a couple of exciting wine producers that we might be able to see there some funky wine producers yep. um, you're the, the only person that will be excited no one else knows who these people are Mike's going to have to I'll, break I'll, it down well, I'll, 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 yeah I'll break it down probably the most funky thing that I'll be looking forward to to get my funk on <laughs> will be that we're bringing um, well last year we were joined by Pheasant's Tears Winery from Georgia and this year um Mr. Werderman, who is the main winemaker slash kind of, um, I guess, promoter in inverted commas because it, it's such a, a rustic wine 
farming community in Georgia, and we're talking about you know former USSR Georgia, not deep south Morgie McGlone throwing down the Jack Daniels <laughs> Georgia, but we're bring, we're going to be able to be joined by four Georgian producers who are going to put on a feast oh. as well. So they're going to be cooking over open fire, traditional Georgian food with Georgian dance and songs about Georgian wine. And you know these guys produce wine um, in, in their original wineries that some date about. One, one winery dates back to the 11th century. Um, so, you know, it, it, we're real privileged to see these guys who, let alone leaving their own winery, barely have left Georgia. Say um, uh, Mikey, Archie has an important question. He, uh, he's currently uh, eating a, a bowl of organic sultanas and puff buckwheat. Um, he wants to know if you could match a beverage for him. Oh, that's much more Richard Hargrave's film. <laughs> <where I'm laughs> he, he said he, he wants a... Uh, uh, a Similiaroff. Um, <laughs> you know, you guys know the rules. Um, so uh, Mike goes. All right, first shirts off. Um, <laughs> get in the squat position. All right, arch your back. Let's go, Rich. <laughs> Wouldn't you just want a glass of milk? <laughs> Archie, do you want milk? No. Uh, juice. Juice box, Archie. It's a pretty, pretty basic. Uh, I think you're going to win this, Mike. Would you like a craft beer, Archie? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're wrong. I was wrong. Rich, rich one. Congratulations, Rich Hargrave. <laughs> Similiar of the year. <laughs> so, what are you matching? Sultanas and what? Oh, buckwheat. Ah, uh, so Dan Robinson, listen it. up, because this could be on the Three Blue Ducks menu anytime soon. Yeah, this is, this is like, yeah it's the Three Blue Ducks uh, ba- baby options. <laughs> Doesn't all their food taste like baby food? <laughs> My name's Mitchell. The Harbour Bridge. <laughs> um, well, that about does us. I think. Is there is there anything we want to talk about quickly before we before we wrap it up? I'm going to get a haircut, so no. No, we're going to Cabramatta now, aren't we, to eat food? So let's wrap this shit up and go eat some, cool. some Cabramatta-ese. Thank you so much for listening to The Mitchin. Um, if everybody wants to go around and uh, let us know where we can find you online, starting with Mike. Uh, you can find me on the internet. under Pornhub.com. Yeah, under Ultra Donkey. Um, <laughs> you can, he is available you, for parties. <laughs> you can put into Google's... And internet's Mike Benny, um, Microism 101 on the various socials, and there is a file of pictures of me naked. If you look hard enough, you have to turn off your safe searches before you type his name in, though, or nothing comes up. Make sure you don't put a, uh, a space between when you type in Mike Benny and then root space stock. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I would like to see the video of um, Egget and Ultra Donkey on the ferry to Manly. <laughs> uh, where can that we, is, where can we find you? That's in the black section of the internet. It's Ma- in the deep internet. Mike Egget, where are you? Uh, check us out on uh, Pinbone. Just Pinbone on Instagram. That's pretty much where we put up most of our information. Uh, everything else, we're pretty lazy. We don't use Facebook. We don't use Twitter. Um, yeah, just stick to the, the Pinbone the Instagram gram. account. Easy. Rich? Uh, my handle's Rich Hargreave, but no one wants to see what I post, so cool. skip over. We sure don't. Annalise? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> mine's at Annalise Gregory, and uh, my second job is um, at Fun Employed Feed. And uh, Mitch, what about you? At Instacrill and at Krillin on the Run for Twitter. And Levens, what about you? Uh, you can find me twitter.com slash levdog, Instagram levdog, etc., etc. And uh, you can find us, the Mitchin. <laughs> Facebook.com slash the Mitchin. Sorry, Facebook.com slash the Mitchin. We had this discussion last week. We still don't know. 
I do know it. Facebook.com slash The Mitchin. Okay, there you, go. you don't know it because you you you've never still haven't. I don't think you've even liked it yet. I have. Maybe from the Acme Facebook. Though. And uh, please, if you have any suggestions of what we should speak about in the past, maybe, sorry, in the future, any guests that we should get on in the future, <laughs> uh, please send us an email. The Mitchin, Mitchin Podcast at gmail.com. Archie, we where really can we find struggle. you online? Archie, what does the monkey say? <laughs> oh, it's like having Cam back. Archie does it. Archie does a great impersonation of a monkey. Archie, what a does mute the snake monkey. do? Archie, what does the snake say? <laughs> Very good. The monkey says, "Leave me alone, Mikey." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why is Mike Eggett still here, Dad? <laughs> Don't it's bad touch enough. That he used bit. to walk me into his kitchen when we went to Pinbone. Now, now you invited him into my own home. Only above the waist, Mikey. <laughs> And thanks for watching. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us at the Mitchin table. We will be back next week without Mike Benny. <laughs> it's the Mitchin Podcast with Krill Dog and Andy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.